And I do, like your pastor, appreciate you being here. Appreciate the visitors coming. Know that there's a multiplicity of places you could be, and some of which are very important. I think God does notice when you pull over and take some time for the Lord. I think, I really do believe that it matters to Him. I'm not like a lot of people, I don't believe that there's a formula to it. In other words, I don't believe that just because you get up and read 10 chapters every day or whatever, that God's going to give you any more of a blessing than He does somebody that reads four chapters. I think what He does is, is He looks at the heart of the individual reading the four chapters as much as He looks at the heart of the individual reading 10 chapters. And the guy reading 10 chapters may just be a real motivated individual who's just trying to get through, but he's not learning anything while he's reading. And then I think the other individual reading four chapters is maybe doing all he can while he's doing the things that he has to do as far as getting along in life. And maybe the Lord might choose to bless the individual reading four chapters more than the individual reading ten. Isn't it funny how we can make a competition out of everything? Isn't it funny how we often look for a formula that we think if we just do this, then God has to do that? Haven't you learned by now that there's no formula to that? God seems to just bless who He blesses because He wants to bless them. Have you ever noticed that? You get to looking at some of the things about grace. We're doing a little study. Not grace, grace, your pastor's wife, but grace. But grace as far as the Lord giving it to you. And you realize that the Lord gives a measure of grace to individuals in the Bible. And He just picks and chooses who He wants to give it to. And some He gives more to and some less to. And some have it and some don't. And the Lord gives it to them the way He and dispenses it how He wants. And there's no formula for it. You can't say that one was more disciplined than the other one was disciplined. The one was more devoted than the other one was devoted. Uh, The more decided that they would be more sold out than the other one. Otherwise, there would be a a way that you could formulate the thing and then say, if you just do this, then God will do that. That's what happens with the charismatics. They say, well, God will make you prosperous, but there's always an if. God doesn't always make you prosperous. I mean, you and I look at the Apostle Paul today, and wouldn't you agree that the Apostle Paul was a successful Christian? I would. I mean, I think he's the most successful Christian in the New Testament that there is, that especially for us that we're supposed to follow. But you know what? If the world looked at the Apostle Paul, they wouldn't think he was successful at all. He's probably bent over. He maybe even have a hump on his back. His eyes are all squinted up. He can't half see. And he goes around, and when he talks, his speech is sort of rude, even though he has the intellect to be able to do it. He's trained at the feet of Gamil. I mean, good night. He's got the intellect. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, above the law, blameless. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He had the royal robes that he wore and all the things that were around the bottom of the borders of his garments indicated who he was and the apostle Paul counted it all but dung but man when he got up to speak all of a sudden the Lord got on him and boy I mean just like that the apostle Paul's words turned into a message and that message is continuing to be preached all the way down here to 2022. Do you ever think about that? The power of the Word of God that goes through and you're still, all of us that preach, we're just preaching what the Bible says. None of us are getting new messages. I look at that thing and I think to myself, Christians, if they would understand that God just decides to be gracious to who He wants to be gracious to. And He gives you what you need sometimes just to get through the moment that you're in. You're in Matthew chapter number 14 there, and it has to do with one of those incidents. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give you the passage so that you'll know that I'm in the passage, but then you're going to have to let me back up and kind of go through the passage. But I, I'm not like some guys will get up, and I'm not th- throwing the shade on them or whatever the modern term is to say that they're wrong in doing it. But as long as I preach, can you imagine how long it would be if I read the entire text? You can laugh. Some of you are like getting out your handkerchief and mopping your brow like, oh man, that'd be terrible. (laughs) 
But if I got up and read all the verses that I'm going to use tonight and then got up and then preached after that, man, we'd be here for two hours. This way you'll only be here an hour and 50 minutes. It'd be all right. <laughs> Look, if you will, please, in Matthew chapter number 14, one of the great stories in the Bible, we find out that there's some people in the storm. You know, there are storms in life. They're not always God's punishment. Could I suggest this to you, Christian, could you maybe uh, recognize that sometimes it's not a good time to 828 somebody. You don't really know what's going on in their life and you really don't know what God's doing in the storm. If you were to look at Jonah, you would think it'd have to be the heathen. You didn't realize it was the preacher that caused the storm. Jonah winds up going to a place he doesn't want to go to, but he goes after, he he has to be forced in a fish to be able to go. The Lord puts him in a whale's belly and sends him over there and then has him thrown up after three days. Can you imagine what he was sloshing around in for three days? Do you ever think about that? And then he gets puked up there on the beach. He's got to be bleached out. He's got to look white as a ghost. And he gets out there and he preaches and the people repent. And that makes him mad because he wants the Lord to burn him. Well, I guess after you've been burned in stomach acid, you kind of probably feel that way. But, you know, you look at Jonah, you'd think it'd have to be the heathen. They say, no, preacher, you're the problem. And they throw the preacher overboard. And guess what? The storm ceases. Sometimes Joseph, he goes through storms over there, if you were to think about it for a minute. I mean, would you think that Joseph was going to be the savior of the nation of Israel? Do you ever think about that? I mean, Joseph winds up being the savior of the nation of Israel, but he gets a coat, right, from his daddy. He didn't ask for it. He gets singled out by that coat. He didn't ask for it. And then he goes to bed one night. He ate a little too much pizza, and he winds up having a dream. And during that dream, man, he's out there working in the field and that kind of thing, something that's a little bit unusual for people nowadays. I haven't forgot i got to read Matthew 14, but give me a second. And so then he goes over there, and he, he goes out into the field, and he's working out there. And then he's one of the sheaves, and all the sheaves bow down to him. And he gets up in the morning and they're having the bear claws and the donuts and the cocoa puffs and the fruit loops and, you know, the Captain Crunch for cereal there and all that kind of stuff and the croissants and butter and all the whatever you have there for breakfast, not probably not a, a healthy breakfast. And they're all and he's over there and he's buzzing. And he's talking to himself and this and that and the other. He's just waiting for somebody to ask him a question. And finally, his daddy said, boy, what's going on with you this morning? What are you so cheerful about? You better not have got into that coffee over there. What, what's the matter with you? Uh, well, uh, well, uh. Uh, uh, Daddy, I had a dream. You had a dream. Okay, well, what was the dream? Well, Daddy, I believe we were out there working in the field, you know. And, and uh, you know, uh, there was a sheaf out there in the field, and then all these other sheaves bow down. And he said, really, well, what's the interpretation of the dream, Joseph? I mean, what's the big deal? And he takes him another bite of Captain Crunch, and he says, well, Dad, wipes the milk off of his face there, and he says, uh, well... I'm the sheaf that everybody bows down to. And his brothers, oh, Mike and back, man. You wouldn't know as a self-serving dream, man. You got to be kidding me. Us bow down to the younger brother. There ain't no way we're ever going to bow down to you, man. You've lost your mind. And they're slapping each other and smacking each other and that kind of thing. Well, that was the dream. Well, it was a nightmare to us. Get out of here, man. Leave us alone. Right? And so he goes by a couple more days and they're laughing and making fun of him and cutting up with him in the background and stuff like that, pushing him and shoving him in the locker room and in the back room getting ready and all. And he goes to sleep one night and in that fitful sleep, he wakes up in the middle of the night there having another dream and he's thinking, man, what am I going to do now? He gets up the next morning, they're having breakfast and all, but he's, he's a little hesitant this time. And his daddy says, why are you so quiet? Well, Daddy, last time you got on to me for being too loud and talking too much. Now I just figure I'll be quiet. Now you're getting on to me. Yeah, but you got a motive for being quiet. You're like a woman. You know, what's the matter? Nothing. What's the matter? Nothing. What's the matter? Nothing. 
There's something the matter. Why? Because it's not like any woman to be quiet. That's okay. My wife's at home. I hope you're not broadcasting this. I'll be in trouble. What's the matter? Well, well, you're quiet. Well, Daddy, I had a dream. And the the guys at the table, the brothers rolled their eyes. Oh, God, you got to be kidding me. Well, tell us about the dream there, Joey. What is it you've dreamed, Joey? What is the big deal now, Joey? Were you a king sitting in King Tut's palace and we're all in there serving you? Well, no, it wasn't really like that. I was a star up in heaven. Oh, let us guess, twinkle, twinkle, little star. What happened to you? Well, uh, all the other stars around me, 12 of them, as a matter of fact, bowed down. Oh, my aching back, man. They start throwing up Captain Crunch all over the table and Pop-Tarts are coming out everywhere. They're slinging bear claws at each other, man. They're like, man, you got to be kidding me. And so he goes down there and time passes by. I'm talking about a storm. And he comes down there and he meets his brother and he's bringing them some food to eat. And he said, hey, guys, how are y'all doing? And before they get, they see him coming. They said, hey, boys, let's put a stop to this foolishness, man. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's put him in a pit. And so they grab a hold of him. If it hadn't been for Reuben, they would have killed him on the spot. They hated him that bad. The Bible said for envy's sake. Are you with me? I'm coming to a storm here in just a minute. We're all the way back in Genesis. Are you nervous? It's like, how long before we get to Matthew? Just 39 books. It's no big deal. We'll get there eventually. And so they come along there and guess what happens? They grab a hold of him. And he's crying and moaning and groaning and said, man, we're so sick of you. We're so fed up with you. You make us sick to our stomach. We've had all we can take of you. We're going to kill you. And they yank that coat off of him, man. He's naked as the day he was born. And they pitch him off down there in the pit. No water to drink. No light down in the pit. I mean, he's bruised and battered and banged up and no food or nothing. And he's down there crying. Shut up. You're crying like a little girl. Quench your whining. You think we're going to bow down there now to you? It looks like we're above you. Shut up, man. And he keeps on going. And finally they said, well, what are we going to do? They said, well, just leave him in there. He'll starve to death. An animal will fall in there and eat him or something. But let's just, let's just leave him alone. And about that time, here comes a wagon train of slave traders. Who would have ever thought slave traders would be an answer to prayer? Beats the fire out of being in a pit. See how God works? You know the story. You probably know the story better than I do. You've been over it 50 million times in your lifetime. You probably felt like Joseph at one time or another. The slave traders come by there and they pull Joseph up out of that thing. It's interesting part of the story there because when they sell him into the slave trader, they get some money there for him and all that and make up their lie what they're going to tell their daddy. You know what's interesting? If you read that passage, those Midianites that come by there to pick up that boy to trade him, guess what they got? They got some balm for his wounds. Isn't it terrible when an individual who's part of the family can get more help from slave traders than they can from their own people? I think that's the state of the church sometimes nowadays. Sometimes we have people come into our churches and we don't realize what's in their saddlebags. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for compassion. You know what the Lord says in the passage where you are in Matthew chapter number 14? And that passage right there, the Bible says that the Lord, after his cousin John the Baptist was killed, he gets killed out there and they get his head cut off. And Herodias' daughter takes that uh, head on the charger to her mama. And all that stuff transpires and takes place. And they come and tell the Lord they got his body and buried it. And the Lord said, okay. And he took a ship and he went out into the desert. And guess who he met in the desert? People that had needs. I'm so glad he's that way. 
I'm so glad that when he stood up there and he said, you know what, you people deserve this. You rejected me since back in the garden in the book of Genesis, man. You rejected me since Eve ate the fruit and since Adam came along and rejected me and I gave you the clothes to wear and I took care of you and you rejected me and rejected me and rejected me and rejected me. You know what he did? That Bible says to you there in an old Schofield right-hand page, left then column, third verse down from the top there around 14 or 15. You know what it says in that passage right there? It said, and he was moved with compassion for he saw the people. Man, if you ever get to the point where you preach so hard or when you witness so hard and where you're almost elated to tell somebody that they're going to go to hell and be burning forever or go to the lake of fire and burn forever and that you lose your compassion for people, God doesn't have any use for you whatsoever. You may be saved, but you act more like the devil because you take pleasure out of telling people their law. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. Boy, a tear of compassion will help somebody a whole lot more than a whip does. I mean, a whip can drive somebody and force them to do something, but a tear of compassion will make them move with their heart. And boy, if you get their heart, you can get something done. Well, Joe winds up over there in Potiphar's house, and he does pretty good over there. They come over there. Can you imagine what that must have been like with Joseph? He's over there in that particular place. They stand him up there like he's a cow or like he's a horse, like he's a donkey, a mule. And he stands up there, and old Potiphar comes up there, and he looks at him, and they say, he looks pretty good. He said, oh, he's bruised up and banged up. He's just a piece of meat hanging on a wall. And he said, what do you mean he looks okay? Well, where is he from? I, we got him out there in the desert somewhere, man. I mean, we got him, pulled, they pulled him up out of a pit or something, and we took care of him. But he's a healthy kid. I mean, he looks pretty good. And he goes up to him, and Joseph tries to pull his head back there, and he grabs him by the hair of the head, man, and grits his teeth and says, stand still, I'll kill you. And so Joseph begins to tremble, and he begins to shake like a dog trying to get rid of a peach seed, man. And he's trembling and shaking. That adrenaline is going in a man like that. And he is scared to death, man, about to, to fall on his knees there. And he raises his lips up, and he looks at his teeth and all that kind of a stuff. Looks around, looks in his ears, looks at him like he's an animal. Trades him off like an animal. And Potiphar says, oh, he looks pretty good to me. I'll go ahead and take him. He takes his hands, he turns them over like that. And he says, oh, my aching back, man. You don't know nothing about working in a field or nothing like that. Maybe I can use you as a houseboy. Maybe I can use you around the house or something to do the women's chores, you know. You ain't much of a man. Funny how God, how, who God uses, ain't it? And so he goes over there to the house. He says, hey, honey, this is Joseph. And she said, oh, well, hey, Joseph, how are you? And, and Joseph says, yes, ma'am, you know, because his head down. And he comes in and Potiphar said, this is what I want for you to do. And he begins to do it. And everything Joseph touches seems to turn to gold. And he begins to be able to figure things out and do things. And then all of a sudden things out there begin to prosper and do really good. And then one day old Potiphar's wife comes in. It's sort of quiet around the house. Ain't nobody much around. Sun's popped up over the horizon there. She woke up that morning with the devil glint in her eye there and she's thinking oh boy today's going to be the day man Potiphar's got to leave for work early and I got special plans and old Joseph comes in and boy he'd gotten up that morning and gone out to the horse trough and he's all washed up and shaved up and cleaned up and breakfast dishes are cleared off that kind of a deal and he's walking in there and he's taking inventory on the corn and the beans and the cotton and all that kind of a deal and she walks in there and she grabs him and she says hey come lie with me the boss is gone I'm the boss's wife, surely. Uh, and uh, Joseph said, uh, no, ma'am. And he dropped his coat. And there's a second time that coat shows up. <laughs> he drops his coat, keeps his character, and takes off. And next thing you know, she come bawling and squalling and all that other stuff. You remember the story, right? You remember the story? But I like to tell it anyway. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about storms. Well, you know what happens? He winds up in prison. 
Well, he's done for now, isn't he? No, the Lord's not done with him yet. See, what I'm trying to get you is, is that sometimes when you're in a storm, ladies and gentlemen, you think it's God's forgotten you and God's, not, and God's done with you and why is God doing this to me and why is God doing that to me and how could God let this happen to me? I mean, all I did was I had a coat, I had a gift, I had a, something that somebody gave me, I had a dream. None of that stuff was mine. And what am I being punished for? What's going on? The Lord's not punishing you. The Lord's not mad at you. As a matter of fact, you're special to Him. God can trust you with trouble. You're not like the rest of us. You must be much stronger than the rest of us because God can give you trouble and trust you with it. He trusted Job with trouble. And old Joseph comes down there and then Potiphar says, hey, what did you do? He said, I didn't do anything, sir. He must have believed him because he preserved his life. I mean, what man, if you knew, was trying to rape your wife, wouldn't have killed him on the spot? He must have believed him. You see God's hand of protection there, but he goes out of being the houseboy into being in a prison. That don't look like the storm's moving him in the right direction, does it? It looks like the ship's coming apart. And he's down there in the prison and stuff like that. And the next thing you know, he's running the prison and lo and behold, uh, eventually they come up there and he winds up telling the dream and this and that and the other. And then he winds up uh, the number two guy who's just like the number one guy and marries the Pharaoh's daughter. And then his brothers come in there. And you know what he says to his brothers? Here's the end of that story. And I'll move on to Matthew 14. At the end of that story, you know what he says? He comes out there and he sees his brothers and he weeps and he cries and he goes back in. And, and then he comes back out and stuff like that. And they go through all the stuff of finding the cup in the grain bin and this and so on and so forth. They bring Benjamin over there and, you know, and then they, they keep him uh, in the prison there for a while. And they're all standing out there. And then they realize who he is. And boy, guess what happened? That dream comes true down to it. They're down there on their knees. They're bowing down to him. And he's the sheaf and he's the star. And they immediately are saying, Joseph, we're sorry. And oh my God, what have we done? And we've done a terrible thing. And man, we can't believe this and this and that and the other. You know what that boy said? Y'all meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. But it's hard when you're in the ship in the storm, ain't it? It's tough, isn't it? You know what, I bet if you were to talk to Joseph during that particular time, there's no record of anything he said during that time. I bet if you were to talk to him during that time, there was probably a few times he's down in that pit thinking, where's God at? I mean, if he's human, I'd be willing to bet you he's doubting the Lord. I mean, he's down there in the pits of despair, the pits of depression. Can I just touch something for you real quick? Just something to where you to consider. There's an old preacher over there. His name's Elijah. He's over in 1 Kings chapter number 19. I mean, pretty good guy. He gets called out of the tish bite, right? He's called out of tish and he goes over there and he preaches, ain't going to rain no more. And he goes over, tells the king what's supposed to happen. The Lord feeds him for three and a half years. He comes at the end of that time and he goes over to Zarephath, takes that woman's last biscuit. And then after he helps her son, her son dies. And so he raises the son back up there and then the Lord says to him, he said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Go over there and have you a showdown at the OK Corral on the top of the mountain up there. And you know how that story goes. And he goes up there and they have the showdown and God wins that battle up there. And Elijah goes running into town over there and my, 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 boy, what a story. He goes into running in that town and the doors are slamming shut and they're running from the water and the dust and rains washing all the mud off the walls and the horses and all there. They got their head up in the air and they're getting out there, boy, and they're wallowing around in the mud and having them a time, man. And boy, the rain's coming, man, and things are getting refreshed and it's just raining and raining and raining and cats and dogs and chickens, boy, I mean, just coming down a frog strangler. And he's standing out there sopping wet and trembling like a little baby without a blanket. 
and nobody talking to him. Well, God, wait a minute now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I preach what you told me to and you hit the altar, man. I mean, good night, Lord. Where's the revival? They said that you'd be God. Well, where was it? Not a single person there. A lot of people throw off on Elijah, and you get them a lot of these outlines that come in there. And, you know, Elijah did this, and Elijah did that, and so on and so forth. And Elijah thought he was the only one around. Could I ask you a question, if you're a Bible reader? Could you tell me what one of them 7,000 did when he's up there on the mountain? Could you tell me where one of them just said, Amen, preacher. Hey, we're with you, preacher. We're behind you, preacher. Could you find me one? No wonder he felt like he was alone. Nobody said a cotton-picking word. You thought he was an independent Baptist church. Nobody said amen, man. I mean, nobody even grinned. Nobody grunted. Nobody gave a holy hallelujah. Nothing like that. Nothing. All of a sudden, it's just quiet. No wonder he thought that. You know what it led to? You say, well, you know, a preacher, you know, he, he wound up running from Jezebel. Well, now, hold on just a minute now. Didn't he just face 800 people and kill them with a sword? I'm talking hand-to-hand combat. I'm talking about get up and cut their throat. And I'm not talking about shooting them at 300 yards. I'm talking 450 prophets of Baal and 400 that sat with the table of, uh, with Jezebel. He killed them all and their blood ran down there. You imagine slaughtering 800 people in a day? Do you not think you'd lose your mind listening to them people scream and holler and holler and their wives hollering and their kids hollering and please have mercy, please have mercy, and cutting off throat and bring another one in. I mean, piling up 800 bodies? My goodness, man, the fatigue alone from doing that kind of stuff. You know what used to happen back in the old days? They went up there through Poland and then Birkenwald and Auschwitz and, and uh, some of the places up there, Buchenwald, I mean, they would wind up and they'd line up these, uh, these people. They would dig these big, huge pits. And they would get up there and they would start shooting the Jews and having them drop over there and all the other people that they didn't like. And they'd drop in. And when they ran out of ammunition, they'd get in there and they would start killing them hand to hand. And they said, the, the, the survivors that survived that, you know what they said? When they got tired, they would just sit there and just try to beat us to death. They just got so tired, they'd just sit there until they regained their strength. And then they'd keep on until they killed every one of us. They got tired. Yeah, they got tired of killing. Physically exhausted. What do you think Elijah was like after he killed 850 people? You might want to reconsider that story. You know what he hears? He gets that letter from Jezebel and he says, well, I'll be jumped, man. You know what he does? I'm talking about a ship. I'm talking about sometimes ships are not taking you where you think they are and it's not because you did anything wrong. Guess where he winds up? He goes from the mountaintop to a desert place out there and he's sitting underneath a juniper tree. Several years ago, I preached a message about that juniper tree. I was up in Cleveland a long time ago, the beginning of the year, right after that big snowstorm came through up there. We literally came in on the tail end of that thing. It moved out. There was one runway onto that thing. And I, the guy said, we're coming in for landing. And the wheels come down. And I'm looking down there. And I'm thinking, man, it's a stinking white field. There's nothing. And I see one place plowed through that thing. at one little line up there with the lights on it for us to come through there. And we get up in there. And I'm up. And I start moving it on that direction. And I hit some things because I'd been down in uh, South Florida preaching. And I preached down there and I hit a couple things about Elijah and I said I think Elijah was so depressed he was suicidal 
And there was an elderly woman that was there, and I say that with great respect. She's up in her late 70s, and she came after the message was over, and she said, could I talk to you? And I looked at the pastor, and he said, yeah, please talk to her, you know. And she said, my 12-year-old daughter took two razor blades, box cutters, and cut her arms, and we had her in the hospital. She had, I don't remember how many stitches, from elbow to wrist. That's serious, man. That means I mean business. Uh, it's hard to catch them when you catch them that early. You've got to get them plenty early and get them in because you can't, you, you know, without a tourniquet, there's not much you can do with that. Saved her. Little girl sitting right there. So what do we do? What do we do? Another lady comes up after that and she said, uh, Preacher, two weeks ago I took uh, two bottles of pill, pills and my sister found me and they pumped my stomach. And I thought, well, man, I'm, what in the world? Pressure. Pressure. Pressure makes people act out of character. Didn't you know that? Pressure makes people get, get, get crazy. You, nobody wants to publish the numbers of how many suicides during all the COVID stuff. Pressure. Pressure. I'm up there in Cleveland and I'm preaching this thing and I told them about a couple of people that I knew and some things that had happened, some horrible things that I've had to see and about a little 12-year-old boy um, hanging in a tree and some other things and a little girl that hung herself in a barn and just some bad, some bad things and a preacher's wife that I knew, some other stuff, terrible things. And this kid comes up after it's over. He was sitting way over here, bigger, a little larger church here. He's sitting down here on the end. He looked like something the cat drug in. You could tell he'd been a meth addict. He had old burnt popcorn, black teeth, you know, that kind of thing. But he sat and listened. I can remember talking, and I'd be talking like that. I remember him looking. He's engaging me, man. I mean, he's looking at me. He's not ducking and diving and trying to cut up and all. He's paying attention to me. And so I'm talking over there, and I'm kind of fishing the pond a little bit. And he comes up, and he goes, Yeah, preacher, he says, I know why you preach that tonight. And he did like this. Boy, there's a rope burns there. And I said, where would you get that from, man? And he said, uh, a few weeks ago, he said, I tried to do that to myself. And he said, uh, they got me. And he said, you know what's funny is the doctors are trying to figure out why only one part of my brain is affected. Because I was out for 14 minutes. And I'm thinking, uh. But, I mean, he's got the scars, you know. And I said, well, why do you think he didn't? And he said, oh, I know why now. I said, why is that? And he said, because I got saved tonight. He said, preacher, if I'd have been successful back then, he said, I'd have been dead and in hell, and I never even knew that. And he said, I got saved tonight. And he said, but you know what you showed me tonight? And I said, what's that, young man? And he said, you showed me that when I go to prison, I said, oh, you're going to prison? He goes, yeah, that's why I was trying to get out of it. He said, I've done some pretty bad things. But he said, you know what you showed me tonight? You showed me that even if I go to prison, Jesus will go with me. I thought, man, I'd love a congregation of you, boy. <laughs> you know what I realized? I realized that all of a sudden Elijah goes from a mountaintop experience after being on the backside of the desert with the Lord for three and a half years and having the truest fellowship you've ever imagined, probably something like Adam and Eve had. I imagine supper time, the Lord probably came down there, might have delivered some of the meals himself. I mean, to hang with DoorDash and, you know, uh, Grubhub and all the other things, it's uh, Jesus' delivery. You know, hey, Elijah, here you go, man. I already know what you want. I know you inside and out. I made you. I formed you. I fashioned you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> I don't feel like it, Lord. I've been sleeping out here on the rocks and the stones and stuff like that. Guess what happened? That boy's under the juniper tree. Looks like a pretty bad storm, don't it? I mean, when a preacher like that can get to that point where he's saying, Lord, it is enough now, let me die. 
Boy, you talk about at the end of your rope, man. I mean, that's a preacher. That's a guy that's got everything in the world going for him. He feels all by himself, all alone. Everything's going by himself. He's in a storm, isn't he? Who would have thought God would have used Joseph and then God would have used Elijah. And Elijah gets up from underneath the juniper tree and goes over to the man cave for a while. And he comes up out of that man cave and walking along there. And the Lord said, hey, you see that boy over there? And Elijah said, yes, sir, I see him. He said, uh, said that would be your protege. He said, let's give him a chance to get in the ministry. And Elijah says, okay, well, how do you want me to do that? He said, well, just run over there and pull your coat off and throw it on him and see what he does with it. Just see how he responds. Don't, don't bait him up or anything. And he said, okay, all right, that'll be fine. And Elijah goes by and he takes off that robe, mantle, and he throws it over there on that boy. And the boy says, uh, uh, preacher, hang on, I'll follow you. And the preacher says this to him. He said, if it's God, follow me. If it's not, you got a new mantle. See you later. And he said, hang on, preacher, just give me a second here. I'll follow you. Let me tell my parents goodbye and let me kill my oxen and let me come on and follow you. Isn't that strange how all of a sudden the storm took him right to the very place he needed to be? You know how long he went on? Another 10 years. Another 10 years serving the Lord. You say, what happened? He had a dip there. He had a storm. He had a shipwreck for a while. You know what would have happened with most people right then? They'd have kicked him to the curb. They'd have said, you're no good. You're not worth anything. You messed up. You fouled up. You're not any good. You had a moment of weakness. You lost your mind. You went crazy. You wound up going to the nut house. You wound up on the fourth floor of the hospital. Uh, you did something, this and that and the other and so on. The Lord said, man, you're ripe for the picking. I can use you. <laughs> David said, I messed up, Lord. I messed up with Bathsheba. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. The Lord said, we're just getting started, son. I mean, the Lord allowed four people to die for David there, but allows him to go on in his life. And 70,000 men die because of David's pride and God's still working on the whole time. You know what David said about the Lord? The Lord liked me. (laughs) The Lord, David says about the Lord, he said, thy gentleness hath made me great. David went through some storms, didn't he? I'm talking about storms. I hope I'm not boring you to death. I'm telling you that sometimes the way things appear on the outside, ladies and gentlemen, is just God getting you ready for a great crescendo. God can trust you with trouble and problems and difficulties. You say what? You're the only people in the entire Bible that God rewards for suffering. He gives you a reward for it. He said, you're going to rule and reign with me. You get the cross now, you get the crown later. You don't get the crown now. You don't want the crown now. But I want to try to show you something here tonight, and I'll try to speed it up. I'm aware of the time. I didn't realize it was 10 o'clock, but I'm getting there. Just give me a moment. (laughs) Some of you are dying to look at the clock right now. You're like, is it really? (laughs) You know what happens here in Matthew chapter number 14? Can you just allow me to, you, you read the passage right there. I think I'm in it. You know what you see something is prophetic there? You see the world having a great party and it's an illicit party and things like that. And you see the preacher in prison. You know what you're going to live to see if you keep on coming? You're going to wind up seeing God's preachers in prison again. People that are trying to preach the word and trying to do right. And you Christians that are trying to live right. You know what the world's going to do? The world's going to try to cut you out of the herd. You just had a, one of the most popular news media people put out an article the other day. And in that article, it's called uh, Rapture Anxiety. And they're trying to get it diagnosed as a mental illness nowadays because people are anxious about the Lord coming back and this and that and the other. You know who singled out in that article? Premillennial, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Christians. Because you believe the Lord Jesus Christ is coming before the tribulation. And you believe if you're not saved, people go to hell. You know what they did? They singled you out in an article. That's just the beginning. 
what happens? Old John the Baptist winds up getting his head cut off and the Lord goes over there. And if the Lord had talked and took long enough to go over to John the Baptist's funeral or to go by and pay his respects, there's a whole bunch of people that need to be fed. Second thing you see in that passage, if you're looking at it in Matthew 14, that thing which shall be hath already been. Second thing you see in that passage is people are starving to death. You see that? The people are starving to death. You know what there is? There's a food crisis. There's not enough food to feed the people. And they say, Lord, we got 200, uh, 200 penny worth of bread, but what is that among so many? And then the boy comes up there and he says, uh, Lord, we got a little boy here. He's got five barley loaves and two fishes, but what, what are we going to do with that? The Lord has to break it and multiply it and has to be able to provide for it. And he feeds not just the 5,000 men, but the women and children too. But you got a food crisis coming. You say, how do you know? Genesis 3, it started with what they put in their mouth. Joseph's day, it had to do with the famine in the land. Elijah's day, a famine in the land. Jeremiah and Lamentation, a famine in the land. I've already mentioned that to you before. Matthew chapter number 4, turn the stones into bread, famine. Revelation in the tribulation when the people are here, dove's dung, a can of dove poop, a dove poop being sold out there. That's all that they have to eat. That means people are starving to death. You know what you got? If that's prophetic, and I believe it is, it means that guess what? People are going to be sick. There they are. They're sick. They're diseased the Bible says, and they're hungry. You know what people are looking for today? You know why they eat slop? Because they're hungry. You know why they eat all the junk that's on TV and why they eat all the junk that's on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and all the social media stuff? You know why news media and even Weather Channel runs 24 hours nowadays? People are eating slop. You say, why? They're hungry. There's a famine in the land. The Bible doesn't say there's a famine in the land for preaching. That's a misquote. The Bible said there's a famine in the land for hearers of the Word of God. You say, what happened? They're full on hog slop, man. They've been out slopping the hogs, running around with the hogs. That's why you have so many demon-possessed people nowadays. So then that comes along there. The Bible said the Lord had compassion on them, began to heal their sick and stuff. And he said, boys, they're hungry. Have them sit down. And he begins to break them up. And he begins to feed those individuals. It's interesting. He feeds them before he talks to them. And then after that, he preaches at them. And then he says to the boys, he says, uh, uh, now I'm down there at the, let's see, the bottom part of that passage there. This is where I want to be. Here's my text. And the Lord said unto those boys, I want you to get in that boat. And I want you to row across that about uh, three and a half miles there across there. So many furlongs. And I want you to go to that shore. But I'm going apart in a mountain to pray. You see that? What verse is that? Is that in there? I'll paraphrase it. What's that, ma'am? 23. 23. All right. You see that right there? You know what the first thing that hit me the first few times I read through that verse? Here's the Lord giving them orders. But the Lord's saying, I'm going in the mountain apart to pray. You know what that reminds me of, preacher? <laughs> if the Lord needs to pray, I better pray. If prayer doesn't matter, what's Jesus doing praying? Do you ever take light, make light of prayer? Well, if Jesus is praying, <laughs> maybe we ought to consider just a minute. I mean, that's God manifesting the flesh, right? Don't tell me your prayers don't matter and don't tell me the Lord. Listen, your kid comes up to you. I don't care if your kid's been a brat. Your kid comes up to you and's got a need, got a problem, got a difficulty. They've done something. You had to bust their tail for it or maybe you had to put them in timeout or whatever it is that you do or don't let them eat their ice cream. And they come in and they skin their knee or they hurt their elbow or whatever. Don't you tell me you don't pick them up and take care of them. Sure you do. You hear their prayers. You don't think the Lord hears your prayers? My man, you're smoking crack. The Lord does hear your prayers. He does care about you. Nobody's in perfect fellowship all the time, but we don't take advantage of it. I mean, when's the last time you really got locked down in a prayer meeting with the Lord? 
I mean, really get locked into a prayer meeting with him. But I read that thing. I got under conviction. I'm thinking, man, if Jesus is going in a mountain apart to pray, he's in touch with the Father all the time. He turns his head up there at Lazarus and says, Lord, I just want to talk to him. And then walks right in there. It's like Mama Utley up there in North Carolina. I mean, she's in touch with the Lord all the time. Don't ever make the mistake. She probably can't hear you now. But don't ever make the mistake of going up to Mama Utley and say, Mama Utley, would you please pray for me? She thinks you mean right then. And she's one of them North Carolina women and she can't hear anymore. So when she's screaming, she thinks it's a whisper. And she will pray for you to the point of embarrassing. I mean, right there. You said, pray for me. She'll be praying one of them, oh God, prayers right there in front of everybody. I mean, she will draw a crowd with that prayer. But boy, you talk about get a hold of the hymns of glory. I'm telling you right now, she can get right up there in the glory. That's Jesus. You know what he said? I'm going to a special place. I'm going to the mountain apart to pray. You know what you need to learn to do sometimes? Sometimes you need to learn to come apart. I don't mean take a vacation and go on a ski trip and go on this trip and go on that trip. Sometimes you need to get apart from everything, walk out there in the midnight moonlight and walk around there and pray. You say, what's prayer? I pray when I get on an airplane. You say, why? Because I hear everybody damning everything before I get on the plane. I learned that from the old preacher. I mean, you ever think about this? You go out there on the road, you see car wrecks. What makes you think that's not an answer to prayer? You know, that blank car and that blank this and that blank policeman, that blank traffic light and that blank that wreck. Well, you're damning it. Well, they, they damn everything on the plane from the ticket people to the baggage claim people to the person running the jet bridge and to the people and the pilots and the airplane itself. So I get up there and I pray. First thing I say is, I say, Lord, please take all the dams off the plane. I don't want to be on a cr- plane that's going to crash. <laughs> but you ever think about it? When's the last time you went apart to pray? I mean, just have a time, Lord, I need to talk to you for a little while. I would so much recommend that, that sometimes get you a couple of verses in the Bible to meditate on and then go spend some time in prayer. Don't wait for tragedy to strike to do that. Well, the Lord said, I'm going in a mountain apart to pray. You know what he says to the boys? He says, boys, this is what I want you to do. I want you to row over there. Now, there's nobody in that Bible that's anymore in the will of God right there. Them boys have been with him. They've dispensed and been in the ministry there with him. And they've gone with him to feed 5,000 men as well as women and children. They're right there with the Lord, ministering with the Lord. They watched the Lord perform the miracle, the five barley loaves, the two fishes. They got 12 baskets left over. I mean, they're ready to roll, man. Everything's going good. And the Lord says, get in that boat right there, points to it, and get on that water right there. I made it. And I want you to row over there to that side, and I'll meet you over there. I'm going in the mountain apart to pray. Tell me who's not in the will of God. But just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean there's not going to be storms. As a matter of fact, I believe, if I remember correctly, there was a man named Jesus. I think he was in the perfect will of God. I believe he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and I believe he said, Is there any way that this cup can pass for me? Is that right? And the Lord, Father, the Father said no, and he said, Okay, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Is that right? He's in the perfect will of God. He winds up nailed naked to a tree. See, the misconception is, is I'm in the will of God, so it ought to be smooth sailing. Well, let's just see what happens in the story. You know the story. You've read the story before. Probably a hundred times. It just doesn't make any sense. So they get out there, and it's interesting how your King James Bible is written because it's, it's real strange. They're now tossed in the waves, and the wind, the Bible says, is contrary. Do you see that? means that they're in the will of God, but the wind's blowing them the other way. Well, if God told him to go to the other side, why didn't he turn the cotton-picking wind around? 
Haven't you ever wondered that? Haven't you ever squared off with the Lord about that? Lord, you called me to go here. Why have I got so much trouble? Why is everything contrary? Why am I having problems and difficulties and this and that and the other? The wind's contrary. Not only that, the boat is now tossed with the waves and stuff. And guess what? They happen to be in the midst as close to the side they're going to as the side they came from before the storm hits them. They're in the valley of decision. They got a choice they got to make. Are we going to keep rowing because it's hard or are we going to do like most people and just throw the oars in the boat and throw up our hands and let the wind blow us right back where we came from? Peter's out there, man, he's rowing and he's back there probably on the stern of the ship there of the boat and he's holding the rudder and he's talking to them. Put their back in it, boys, and come on, Peter. We can't even see the, the stars and we can't judge where we're at now. We got no way to be able to tell where the sun or the moon is. We can't see anything. It's pitch black and Peter said, I know we're going the right way. How do you know? Because <laughs> we're going against the wind. And boy, that boat's pitching and turning and that kind of a thing. And then all of a sudden, the Lord's up there. He's in the mountaintop watching and praying. I've often wondered how that prayer would be. He's down there looking at them, you know, one eye on them and one eye on the Lord, you know, up there. And he's looking down. He's saying, Father, be with them and Father, help them. And Father, please uh, put some cotton in your ears. Peter's about to curse a blue streak here in just a minute. I, I'm work, but I'm working on that. Just give me some time with him and give me a time. And he's sitting there watching him and looking at him and sitting there praying and that kind of a deal. And all of a sudden, he decides to go walking down there to him. And he comes walking down that mountain and then he steps out there on that ocean. Those breakers are breaking and things like that. And he's walking. Not like the commentators say that there was a cold wind that had blown and icebergs began to firm a form. And so Jesus was stepping on floating ice while he was walking out there. No, he's not. That's just absolute idiocy. He's walking out there, and I told you this last night. As he begins to walk out there, he's walking by there. You know what he says to him? He said, be of good cheer. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. I'm in a storm. Can I help some of you? It's all right to be scared. In a little while, Peter's going to get scared again. Scared means you got some sense. You hear about all these brave people. They just overcome fear unless they're a psychopath. Being scared of unknown things. Did you see how scared people were of a microscopic bug? And some of you made fun of it until somebody died of it. And then you're like, well, uh, mm." (laughs) you know, you get a little scared of things you don't understand, don't you? Doesn't it? Doesn't it it cry a little bit of fear? Come on, throw the ball back just a little bit. You mean you ain't never been scared? You ain't never been scared when you're looking and you're looking and adding up what your check's going to be at the end of the month and you're looking at what the bills are going to be at the end of the month and then you're thinking, man, that's the third month and if I'm three months late, then they're going to wind up repossessing. They're going to wind up foreclosing. They're going to wind You never been scared? You never been to the doctor and have that little speck on you and... You know, it just keeps itching all the time, keeps bothering you all the time. And you go in there and they take them biopsies. Why don't they do it right then? No, they leave you for a cotton-picking week. Oh, we'll call you back. And the whole time you're, you're, you're tore up. Now you've gone to WebMD and you've read everything and you know, man, it ain't a flea bite, man. You're, you know, you got something, you know, epizoulis, you got Ebola, you're going to die. You're going to be bleeding out of your eyes and all that stuff, man. And you've read it and then it makes it worse. They finally call you. Okay, good. Give me the results. We need you to come to the office. Oh, my aching back, man. Just tell me on the phone. Well, we can't do that, you know. Okay, and don't speed getting here. 
So then they want you to make an appointment, right? You show up early for the appointment. Don't tell me you're not scared. You're smart to be scared. Christian, it's okay to be scared. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, okay. <laughs> but sometimes, you know what happens? There's things you can't explain, things you don't understand. And you're scared. It's okay to be scared. You know, one of the greatest things that happen when somebody is scared is to see the face of your loved one, your mom or your daddy. That gives you a comfort. You say, why? Well, you know they have your best interests at heart. You know a good way, kids, for you to understand how God is? If you've got a good mom and a daddy, that's how God is. They'll run to you when everybody else is running away from you. They're not ashamed of you or embarrassed of you. You know what they'll do? They'll love you in spite of all your problems. They're like the Lord. You ever look at the Lord of the devil-possessed man in Mark chapter number 5? Naked man running at the Lord, screaming and yelling and fetters and chains hanging off of her. And boy, I mean, had been cutting himself covered in blood, some kind of a savage. And the Lord walks right up there and says, hey, man, what's your name? <laughs> man, what a man. He wasn't scared at all. Hey, man, what's your name? That old devil-possessed man's thinking, man, I've never seen nobody like this before. <laughs> yeah, well, you fixing to meet him. Runs them old demons out of them, puts them in the hogs there and the pigs, and they run off the cliff there. And that boy seated and clothed and, rest, and, and resting there in the Lord's presence and in his right mind. Boy said, so what happened? I ran headlong into Jesus. Oh, you mean everybody else is running from it? Yeah, but Jesus ran to me. That's what you do when you're scared. The Lord made you. He knows it's, you're scared. All right, they're scared. So let me hurry through this thing here. And the Lord comes walking along. Be not afraid. It is I. Be of good cheer. Uh, Lord, we're in trouble. Oh, yeah, I see that. <laughs> you know what that Bible says? You have not because you ask not. Sometimes we're in trouble and we just expect the Lord to understand it. Have you ever just made it, just brought it to His attention? Hey, Lord, I just want to make sure. Do you understand I am in trouble here? I am Elijah under the juniper tree. I'm a little depressed right now. I'm a little concerned. I'm sick. I got a problem. I got, have you ever, ever just brought it to His attention? You ever had a problem in your church and just say, Lord, just want to bring to your attention? <laughs> Sometimes, you know what he does? Yeah, be a good cheer. Lord, Lord, hang on just a minute. Don't you see the mess I'm in? Yeah, I see it. You didn't ask me for help. I don't go sticking my nose in your business. I'm, I'm not on social media. Did you want some help? Yeah, okay, well, ask. You have not because you ask not. And so Peter comes along through there, and you can't blame Peter for it. He's bold enough to do it. I think it's probably Peter. The Bible says in a parallel passage that one of them cried out, and that one crying out stopped them. That one out of those 12 apostles that are in that boat, that one said, Lord, we need some help here, and the Lord stopped. And Peter said something strange in that passage. You can read it right there. In my Bible, it's over on the right-hand page of the right-hand column. And he says over there, uh, Peter says, If it be you, if it's you, bid thou me to come unto thee. You know what the Lord said? Come on. Now here's where it gets real difficult. Can you find for me in the passage where the Lord stopped the storm first? He doesn't stop the storm. Bid thou me to come unto you on the water. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Peter and I'm willing to get out of the boat, first thing I'm going to say is, Lord, if you'll stop the storm, I'll try it. But sometimes the miracle, ladies and gentlemen, is in the storm. 
It's not the stopping of the storm. This is the second storm. It's the second time they've been around. The first time he stopped the storm, this time, guess what he's going to do? He's going to test the participants. What if I don't stop the storm? Well, Lord, will you be with me? He said, well, come on. Peter bails out of that boat. Now, I don't know about you. Step number one, I'd be this way. Lord, if you'll stop the storm, maybe I'll give it a shot. (laughs) Isn't that usually what we say? Lord, just stop the chaos. Stop the storm. Stop the thing and this and that and the other. The Lord doesn't stop the storm. The second thing would be, he said, come on. You know what that means? That means I got to get out of the boat. I got to be willing to turn loose of what I'm holding on to 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 be able to come to Jesus. You know what I'd be saying? Jesus, could you come a little closer? (laughs) Now, I know you wouldn't do that. I know you'd be like, he's 100 yards away. Yeah, sure, Jesus, I'm coming to you, man. I know you would never take your eyes off of Peter did. I know you would never look at the trouble, the problems, the difficulty, the circumstances, the situation, the trouble and trials around you. I know you wouldn't have done that. You know, you would have been, you know, Lord, I'm coming right at you. No, I'm turning my eyes on Jesus. I'm looking full in your wonderful face. Here I come, Jesus, to save the day, man. I mean, I'm good like that. But Peter's a little low on faith, man. And it's a bad storm that's going on. And I got to be honest with you, for him to turn loose of what he's kept him around that boat he's holding on to has provided for his family that boat he is holding on to at least right now is above the waves and the water and the wind and it's keeping him afloat and the Lord's saying turn loose and come to me man are you kidding me that's like my daddy I'm out there swimming one day and we've been swimming in the shallow end of the pool and we move out there to the deep end and he says you know get in and I'm getting in and I'm holding on to the side of the pool and all that like a little kid you know and holding on and holding on and my daddy said okay come on out he's out there I don't know maybe 10 or 15 feet he said come on boy come on and I started out there man and I'm going down and I'm coming back up and I'm going down and I'm coming back up and all that kind of stuff and my daddy kept moving away from me I thought man this is, I'm going to call HRS when I get out of here you're torturing me you know? <laughs> I began to move out of the way he moves like this and all that you know what he said to me he said stop panicking you're swimming I said daddy it's deep he said you're swimming the same way in the deep end you were in the shallow end stop panicking I'm right here but it was hard to turn loose at the side of that pool. You know what's hard to do when you're in a storm? Turn loose and go to Jesus. You see why? Sometimes he's not right there by you. Sometimes he requires you to trust him and step out by faith and walk. I've I got to tell you this. You don't understand the storm. You can't get it all. You can't wrap your head around it. You can't educate yourself enough to get it. Old Pete starts out there and he finally, of course, all the guys in there, all they're worried about is rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. They're all of a sudden thinking, well, who's going to take Peter's spot? Who's going to be in charge of this? And who's going to be in charge of that? Who's going to do this? And who's going to do that? And so on and so forth. They're not willing to get out of the boat. You have to understand when the Lord puts you in that kind of a thing, sometimes storms are there to find out, will you distinguish yourself from the rest of the crowd? Get out of the boat. Peter said, okay, I'm coming. (laughs) Could you come on a little closer? I'll meet you halfway. I'll meet you some of the way, but uh, could, you, could you come here, Lord, and, you know, if I can get a hold of you? And the Lord said, come on, Pete. And Peter turns loose and he starts. And don't tell me like some of these preachers do. And then Peter got full of pride because he could see himself walking on water and all that. No, that Bible said Peter realized the wind was boisterous. Look at it. I think it's verse 30 there. Look at what all's going on there with Peter. What is that? Somebody just said it. He was what? What in a cat hair is that? He's an apostle. 
He's seen the Lord do miracles literally within 24 hours. He saw him bust up five barley loaves and two fishes and heal sick people. Sure. He's already been in a storm before and the Lord stopped the storm. What's he afraid of? But the Bible said he was afraid. Sometimes the Lord has a way of bringing us down to our own human frailties, doesn't he? And no matter how much we've been through, the Lord always knows how to get our number. And something happens and all of a sudden the Lord says, what's the matter, Lord? I'm a, I'm a, uh, I, well, uh, uh, yeah, you're what? Lord, I'm afraid. I'm scared. And the Bible said, and he began to sink. Peter's going down for the last time, man. I like the fact Peter didn't have a plan B. He got out of the boat and headed toward Jesus. And boy, it must have been a bad storm. Peter's a fisherman. Certainly he knew some things about it, but he's going down, man. He's going down. I realize I'm close to the cotton right now. I realize I know what happened, but it's still right there in the passage. That's a fearful thing that's going on right there. And Peter is going down. And don't get this idea that he's got some life preserver around him or whatever. Peter's going down. And he's scared. You know what he says? Lord, you read it? Save me. Nobody else can help me, Lord. Water's over my head. (laughs) Lord, save me. And the Lord yawned and said, Yeah, Peter, you of little faith. Elijah, you stinking squirrel, you under the juniper tree. Joseph, you little pitiful boy in the pit. No, he didn't do that. There's a word there in your Bible. The Bible says, and what? Do you see it? And what? How quick did the Lord respond? Immediately. What did he do? Caught him. I wish I could paint. I'd have Peter right under the surface. Nothing but his hands sticking up and have the Lord reach down there and grab him, pull him up. Peter's soaking wet, man, like a drowned rat boy, and he's sitting up there by the Lord. And the Lord say, Peter, let me ask you a question. How about we go for a walk? And they go walking on the trouble. You ever think about it? Lord, save me. The Bible said when they returned to the ship, the storm stopped. That means they're still walking on the storm. That means that Peter is walking with the Lord in the storm. You've got to get that. I know I'm close to the cotton, but I need you to listen to me. I don't care what that storm is. You have people here that have had every kind of loss you can imagine, and there's more losses to come, ladies and gentlemen. That's part of what's going to happen. That's going to take place. It has taken place since Adam and Eve. It's not going to stop. What you have to learn is, is who's the master of the storm, and whatever that situation may be or whatever that circumstance is, God's looking at that thing, and he knows something about that storm that you and I don't know and we don't understand. Be careful to turn on the Lord, not to turn on the Lord. Turn to the Lord during that time. Well, they come up there and they get in the boat and all that kind of deal. And I'm sure all the boys are asking, what would you and the Lord talk about? And he said, hey, there's some things he just told me not to tell you. And we just talked for a little while and spent some time together. After all the stuff that happened out in John 21, I'm coming to a close now. Watch what happens with what happened with Peter's trouble walking on the sea. You're in about Acts 3, 4, 5 right along in there. And Peter and John are walking into the temple. 
There's a man out front there. He's a crippled man. He's laying out there on his mat, smelly mat, sweat and urine and all. Been there. He can't get up, go out to the bathroom. He's got him a tin cup there, maybe a bag, and he's collecting money. And he's there, and the people coming into the temple, and he's asking the Lord for the change. Asking the people for the change. And he sees Peter and John coming. And they come up there and he says, uh, Hey, fellas, uh, how about some alms for the poor? Could you help me out? Could you do something? <laughs> and Peter looks down at him and John starts to speak. And Pete looks over at him. He says, Hey, I, I got this one. I got this one. And he winks at John. I'm just in my mind's eye. And Peter says, uh, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have... And he reaches down that hand. I give unto thee. I think Peter's the author of the song. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Peter said, such as I have. And he looks at John and John says, oh man, I know what he's replaying in his mind. And he reaches down there and he locks hands with that boy, man. I mean wrist to wrist and hand to wrist. And he pulls that boy up. And when he does, those legs come up underneath him. And Peter says, let me tell you the story about when the Lord let me walk on my storm. This was done for God's glory. And he tells him the story. And the boy gets so moved by it, the Bible says he goes into the temple and he's running and leaping. Well, what would you have done if you couldn't have walked all that time and now you could? You think you get up and say, appreciate it, Pete, I've got to go to work now. <laughs> Man, I'd be going by all those people that have been giving me money and coming by and that kind of a deal. Man, I'd be running and leaping too, wouldn't you? Sure. Now, Christian, here's the deal. I wish I could be all up in the air tonight and just promise you everything's going to be rainbows and roses and unicorns and lollipops and all that stuff. But if what's coming according to that passage there, you got trouble coming, you got storms coming, you got difficulties coming, you've had storms come this year beyond anything you could have ever imagined. It's a trial of your faith. You're being tried just like the Christians of old that were tied to poles and lions turned loose on them and burned at the stake. And some of the stuff some of you are going through right now, man, the pain is just as real as those fangs digging into your skin. You say, what is it? Uh, It's the devil turning up the heat right before the Lord comes walking on the sea and saying, you know what, y'all come on up here. And about the time you feel like you're going down, the Lord's going to say, come up hither. And he's going to have you walk up there through the deeps and get up out on the other side. Now, you have to recognize this. All storms are not because you did something wrong. As a matter of fact, a lot of storms are done so that God can be glorified. But sometimes storms leave damage. And sometimes they hurt. And the only way you can get comfort in a storm is from the comforter. Human beings and drugs and alcohol and illicit ideas, and they, they can't help you. You can bury yourself in work. You can bury yourself in your ideas of what you want to do. They can't help you. I know somebody that will help you. You know what he needs tonight? I'll tell you what he needs. I'll tell you what you need. You're in a storm tonight. You know what you need? Lord. Lord. 
I need some help. He said, well, he knows I'm in trouble. He's omniscient. He knows everything. I, I know he knows. But he wants to know, do you know? You know what he says to that devil-possessed man? What's your name? You know what he says to Bartimaeus? What do you want? You know what he said to Adam? Where are you? He knows all the answers to that. The issue is, is do you know you have a need? Do you know? It's not does he know. It's do you know. And then are you willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, could you help me? Peter was the only one who got out of the boat. Say whatever you want to, but at least he got out. You say, what was he? He was in trouble. And that trouble led to, looked like a bad demise, but it turned out in a pretty good way. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.